Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We took a look over the last couple of weeks at a number of different areas regarding finances, and we're going to talk about uh, three more this morning. So we're going to get right into it. The first of which is loans, taking on loans. And that's this area that I think is very important. Uh, we're talking about debt, right? Debt is basically borrowing money from the future to buy something today, right? That's what debt is, right? I'm borrowing money from the future to buy a house today. I'm borrowing money from the future to buy the car today. I'm borrowing money from the future to pay off my phone or my education, you know, all of these different things. And, and there is a huge pile of debt in our country, right? I think we're all aware of this. Uh, the U.S. household debt, right? This is debt that is held by people just like you and me, right? All across the country. The U.S. household debt, I believe as of last month, is nearly $16 trillion. So that's the household debt. If you were to spread it evenly across every single house, some people don't have any debt. Some people have lots of debt. Some people have student debt. Some people have a mortgage. Some people have credit card debt. If you took all of those debts and just kind of averaged it out, the average household debt would be about $150,000 per household. All right? And it's split up into a couple of different major categories. The big one, of course, is housing. Right? Mortgages take up $12 trillion. And that's a big one. Of course, we, we all know about that. The big one below that is student debt. I think that's kind of been in the news a lot recently. Student debt. There's $1.7 trillion in student debt. Car loans are $1.3 trillion. And credit cards are $930 billion. Now, we're talking about numbers that are so big, it's hard for us to fathom. All right, how big is even a billion dollars, right? It's hard for us to even picture that much money, let alone a trillion dollars. It's a lot of money, and there's a problem with debt. You might think, well, if I take on the debt and I'm able to pay it all back, no problem, right? No problem. Well, the Bible gives to us a very important principle regarding debt that we can't forget. It comes from Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 7. The Bible there says, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. All right, that second part in particular, the borrower is servant to the lender. Even if you get what you want, you should understand the relationship when you take on debt is the borrower, if I borrow money, I am a servant to the lender. Now, how does that play out? Well, let's take a look at student debt, right? That's been kind of in the news recently. People talking about student debt, getting rid of student debt, all of those sorts of things. Why is that the call for many? Well, the reason is they understand this principle, maybe without stating it, by having debt, I have to serve the person who lent me the money, right? Every month, they're going to come and say, where's the money, <laughs> right? Where's the $300? Where is it? And if you, don't, if you don't give it, you'll get a letter back. And there's, there's going to be problems related to other things, you know, your credit score and uh, different things like that. But the point is that when you borrow money, you become a servant to the lender. 
And let's take your home, for instance, right? You have a home, and maybe you take out a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, and you might say, well, if I'm able to pay it off every single month until it's completely done, then there's no problem, right? No problem. There might not be a problem there, but at least you need to understand the relationship that you enter into because if you buy a house, right, and you decide, I want to move, you are under obligation to the person who lent you the money, right? You can't just leave, you have to sell it, pay it off, and then go move and things like that. And you might think in today's market, Oh, that'll be easy, right? If I have a house and I want to sell it, that's easy, no problem. But it's not always been the case, right? Not too long ago, we know that there was a very different case. In fact, I have a, um, a person that I know that had a situation where he bought a house, took out a loan, and was living in this house, paying off the mortgage every single month, and uh, he had the Lord, he felt like the Lord was calling him in a different direction. And he was going to go and work at a Bible college, at least that's my understanding of the arrangement. And uh, they said, great, you know, just sell your house and come over here. And he said, okay, great. They couldn't sell the house. And so he said, hey, it's taking a little while. And they said, don't worry about it, you know. And, and eventually it took so long that he wasn't able to go and he had to go in a different direction. And so the, the point is that if you take on the debt you are obligated to that person, you become a servant to that person and it can limit you. One of the things that I'm very grateful for is that when I graduated, I graduated without any debt. And the reason why that was so important was because I graduated in June, all right, I was done my classes in March, but I graduated in June. The Lord called me into full-time ministry in July and I began to work at the church in August, right? And then I went to Bible college and things like that. Imagine if I had $50,000 in student debt that I have to pay off and the Lord calls me to ministry, how much that might cause me to think, you know what, uh, God, I know you want me in ministry, but maybe after a couple of years, right? There's a temptation in my mind of, you know what, maybe, maybe I, after I pay off this debt, you know, maybe after I take care of these things. And, and there's something that's very important, understanding that principle and so, you know, we're talking about young people, you know, taking on student debt and young people taking on, you know, credit card debt and things like that. Be very careful, okay? Be very careful <laughs> about student debt. Be very careful about taking, I know that people in today's day and age just think, ah, you take on the debt, you pay it off when you get your job. And, but life isn't always so plain and clear like that. Things can happen that are out of our control. We should be wise with taking on debt, Amen. All right, it should be wise, be very careful, which leads to that philosophy regarding debt. It seems like the country is very welcoming of debt. Yeah, give it to me, bring it on. Yeah, you know, just give it to me now. I'll worry about it later. Future me will take care of the debt problem. Just give me the money now so I can enjoy it today. And next year me will worry about the payments. But the Bible makes it clear that we should not have that philosophy regarding debt. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11 says, He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, and he that hateth suretyship is sure. This is the idea of being under obligation to pay. Uh, if you follow uh, Dave Ramsey, 
and uh, he, he does a lot of work with uh, finances and helping people get out of debt. And uh, I think he does a great job. If you, if you don't have a budget, you don't know what you're doing with your finances and you have all of these, I, I think he's a great resource. He basically says, at least for, you know, debt-wise, debt for the home, and he says basically nothing else, right? He doesn't, even, he doesn't even have credit cards and all of those sorts of things in order to stay away from that danger of debt. Proverbs chapter 17 says, a man void of understanding striketh hands and becomes surety in the presence of his friend. So we ought to have at least at the very bare minimum that mentality towards debt. We should not be overly welcoming of debt. Amen? Amen. All right? We shouldn't be like, yeah, you know, car debt, mortgage, you know, credit cards, student loans, everything. Yeah, just give it so I can enjoy it today, right? Debt is borrowing money from the future to pay for things today. We should be very careful of that. We, I, I'm sure that every one of us knows of people who've gotten themselves into trouble. Uh, a few other uh, areas regarding debt. The first is paying off debt. Psalm chapter 37, verse 21. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. If you took on debt, then you should pay it back. Amen. I know that you all agree and understand that, but sometimes it needs to be stated. If you borrowed money, you're borrowing money saying, I promise to pay you back, right? Nobody's going to borrow money if they say you're going to pay it back, right? Well, if I can, <laughs> nobody's going to let you have that money, right? So you're promising I'll pay it back. If you promise to pay it back, pay it back, pay it back. Now, if you don't know you could pay it back, don't borrow the money. Amen? Amen? Right? Don't borrow the money. Say, well, I don't know what's going to happen four years from now. Maybe you shouldn't borrow the money. Maybe you should live in contentment today. The other area is regarding co-signing and the partnership in debt. Proverbs chapter 22 says, Be not that one of them that striketh hands, or of them that are sureties for debts. If thou hast nothing to pay... Why should he take away thy bed from under thee, right? Sometimes it's, a, oh, you know, it's a friend of mine. You know, we'll co-sign together and things like that. Well, people have gotten themselves into trouble because your friend didn't, you know, maybe didn't have the credit score or things like that, wasn't able to get the full loan that they wanted. And so they, hey, just help me out. You know, I promise I'll pay it back. If they don't pay back, guess what? The bank's coming after you. Now, you didn't get anything out of the deal, right? You didn't get any, you know, part of whatever it is that they're borrowing. So why should you have to pay? The Bible says that's not wise. It's not wise. Proverbs chapter 6, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, right? Your friend says, hey, I want to borrow money from this guy, but I, you know, this guy won't promise. Will you co-sign with me so that there's a guarantee and uh, 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 Solomon is writing, My son, if this be the situation, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go, humble thyself, and make sure thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, and as a deer from the hand of the fowler. The idea is, if you're in a situation like that, Make haste and get out of that situation as soon as you can. It's not a wise position to be in. So regarding debt, 
Be very, very careful regarding the debt. Don't just get in there, oh, credit cards, yeah, sign up for credit cards, I'll just start paying for things with my credit card and taking on a loan and all of these sorts of things without having a sure understanding of what that is, the relationship you're getting into, and of course, being able to pay it back. Right? I mentioned that I got credit cards when I was in college. You know, you, I went to college and they had these credit card companies and I signed up for one. I had zero income and they gave me a credit card. So that, that's the idea mentality of credit card companies. They just want you to have one so that in the future they could hopefully make some money off of that. But I didn't make any money so I, there's nothing for me to buy with my credit card because I can't pay it back. So be very careful of that. So, First of all, regarding loans, taking on debt, be very careful of that. And there's a, a number of Bible principles regarding that. All right, the second principle we're going to take a look at is choosing a lifestyle. All right, choosing a lifestyle. All right, this is something that most people don't think about explicitly. It's just something that you do, but I think we need to talk about it. Now, for most people throughout history, your lifestyle was chosen for you. Meaning this, if your father was a farmer, you had a farmer lifestyle for the rest of your life, okay? And that's just what it was. You dressed like a farmer, you worked as a farmer, your schedule was like a farmer, that's what it was. And for most of human history, most people were farmers. They just worked on the farm either to just feed themselves or they would sell it and you know, that, that's how they would make money. And so that was the situation. Now, most of us here in America, we have a choice, right? You have a choice as to what lifestyle you live, right? Now, you might think, well, here in LA, you know, I don't, but there's all sorts of other choices, right? You could move to a different city, you could move to a different state, you could make some different arrangements, you could change your job, you could move to a different home or apartment, all sorts of different uh, adjustments that you could make regarding your lifestyle. And so we need to think about this. All right, so the way that I live regarding how I spend my money, how do I determine that, right? How do I determine what's a biblical lifestyle, all right? And we, we got to think about finances as well, right? The Bible talks about our finances. So let's think about, all right, what are the principles that I should keep in mind in regards to my general lifestyle? How many vacations I take a year? What kind of home I live in and, and how much money I spend on that? What kind of cars I get? What kind of clothes I buy? The things that I, I spend my money on, the subscriptions that I sign up to, all of these things. Well, the first principle is keep a traveler's mindset. Keep a traveler's mindset. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven. For our life, our, 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 our city, our homeland is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So for us as Christians, regarding our lifestyle, the first principle is our home is in heaven. Amen? Right? Our home is in heaven. Our home is not here. Our home is in heaven. This world is not our home. Right? We sing the song. This world is not our home. It's not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't at home in this world anymore. 
The principle, I think, is very well encapsulated in that last time. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We as Christians ought not to feel at home in this world. Because this isn't our home. This is not our homeland. This is not where we will be for all of eternity. Our home is with God. Our home is in heaven. That's where our home is. And therefore, that mentality will lead us to think and to feel, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I love traveling. Me and my wife, we love traveling. We love going to different places. We love seeing the sights. We love eating the food, right? When we go traveling, I want to see what food is there, right? If we go to Mexico, I want to eat the food in Mexico, right? The Mexican food. Tell me, what do you all eat? I want to eat that. When I go to Korea, I want to eat the Korean food. When we went to Europe, I want to eat that food. I want to eat whatever's there. It's exciting. I love all of those things. I love traveling. I love seeing the sights. But as much as I love traveling, even more, I love going home. I love being home. Being away is exciting, but I love being home. Me and my wife will even say that when we go out and, you know, we're maybe on vacation or things like that. After a couple of days, we're enjoying it. We're still enjoying it, but we're thinking, you know what? I, I can't wait till I go home. I love being home. I love being where, where my home is. And, and for us as believers, our home isn't here. Our home is in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the souls. Uh, uh, against the soul. We are strangers in this land and we are pilgrims, right? A pilgrim is one who is journeying through a foreign land. That's what we are doing. We are going through a foreign land in order to get to our home. Uh, one author said, Let temporal things serve your use but the eternal be the object of your desire. And that kind of begins to, to settle into, okay, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about lifestyle and our, our Christian mentality is that the eternal should be the object of your desire. Where, where are your desires? Where, where are you looking forward to? What is the thing that, that you desire the most? When you read Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham, if you're familiar with your Bible, you'll know was a fairly wealthy individual. But for most of his life, he didn't live in a house. He lived in a tent. That's what a tabernacle is. A tabernacle is a tent. He lived in a tent. He was fabulously wealthy, but he spent most of his life in a tent. Why? Abraham, why are you living in a tent you have so much money. You have, you're so wealthy. You're so powerful. You have so many servants. Why do you live in a tent? Because I'm looking for a future country, a future city whose builder and maker is God. That's why the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So if we're going to think about having the right mindset towards what kind of lifestyle should I have here on earth? We've got to think about, first of all, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. We're going on our way to our real home in heaven. 
Which leads us then to the second principle, beware the temptation of materialism. Beware the temptation of materialism. Luke chapter 12, verse number 13 says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, talking to Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. All right, here's a brother, and he's got apparently an older brother who's got the inheritance, or at least maybe more of the inheritance. And, and, and this, this man goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, this is a great sin. My brother has more of the inheritance. Tell him to share it with me. Verse 14 says, And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, all right? So now he's not just speaking to the individual. Now he's speaking to everybody. All right, you saw the interaction? Let me give you a big lesson here. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Right? Life is not about how much money you can get. And not just about the possessions, but I think also the things that we can buy with money, right? Vacations, experiences, special classes and opportunities, all of these sorts of things. One, one Christian said, can a man be poor if he is free from want? If he does not covet the belongings of others, if he is rich in the possession of God. Rather, he is poor who possesses much, but still craves for more. Isn't that the truth? Isn't he poor who possesses much, but still craves for more? And sometimes the expansion of lifestyle can really hinder the Christian walk. And it can be very subtle, but sometimes the Christian, you know, the, the way that we might choose to live can inhibit our Christian living. Let's say you buy a house. You buy a house, and now you suddenly got extra expenses, right? Maybe you've got to pay taxes, you know, you've got to pay property taxes. Maybe you've got to pay extra insurance. Now you've got to pay for things to repair. You used to just call the landlord. Now you've got to pay for these things. You have to spend time maintaining the property, all of these things. And, and soon, if a Christian is not careful, all of those things can just get bigger and bigger and bigger and more expensive and more expensive until the Christian is spending all of his time just maintaining the house, making sure the car is in good repair, making sure that everything is all in line. And soon his whole life is revolved around making sure that, you know what, I got this luxury car, I got to pay off that, and I got a monthly subscription, I got to do all of these extra activities. And, and instead of the possessions, the possessions serving us, we begin to serve our possessions. One writer said their property held them in chains, chains which shackled their courage and choked their faith and hampered their judgment and throttled their souls. They think of themselves as owners, whereas it is they rather who are owned. Enslaved as they are to their own property, they are not the master of their money, but its slaves. If we're not careful, that lifestyle can enslave us to, well, I just got to do all of these things in order to maintain my lifestyle. If you're thinking that this was written by somebody in America in the last hundred years, it was actually written by a Christian who lived maybe about 200 years after Christ. See, this idea of materialism has been around for a long, long time. Now, practically speaking, how might this affect the everyday Christian? It might affect, for instance, the way that you behave at work. Let's say you get a job, you know, you, you're, you're meeting your boss and your coworkers and things like that, and you realize that they're lost. 
Well, for us as Christians, what should we do? We should try to witness to them. Amen? All right, we should witness to them. But if you're thinking, oh, but I got a mortgage to pay, and I got, these, I got this car I got to pay off, and I got to do, you know, we have all of these plans for things that we want to save up towards, and if I say something, then maybe the boss will like what I'm saying, and maybe, maybe he'll kind of push me down farther the ladder, and, and I won't be able to reach my financial goals, and, and maybe when the company hits a downturn, maybe I'm the first one to go, and, and that can become a real hindrance in the Christian life. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? Does that make sense? Right? It's, instead of thinking about, hey, these are lost people that need to be saved, now we're thinking about, i got to keep my job. Right? Because if I don't keep my job, I can't pay for the mortgage. And we just talked about debt. i got to pay off the mortgage. Right? i got to pay off the debt. Or i got to pay for all of these things. And so we have to be very, very careful about an expansion of materialism. And there's even a term for this. It's called lifestyle creep. Right? It's called lifestyle creep. Just, just a little bit bigger apartment. Just a little bit bigger house with a little bit bigger payment, <laughs> a little bit higher taxes. And I need a little nicer car with a little bigger monthly. It's, it's only $25 a month more. It's only $50 a month more. And I, you know, I've been going to this really cheap gym and you know, saving money there, but I want a little nicer experience. And so you upgrade you know, gym memberships and you, know, you add another subscription and, and you know, we're hitting summer, so we'll drop the AC down another degree. And you know, these shoes are getting a little old. I'd like to upgrade my shoes a little bit. And soon, suddenly, where you used to live on maybe $40,000 a year, now you need $45,000 a year. Now you need $60,000 a year. Now you need $70,000 a year. And we live in the age where there's no end of temptation, right? Every year, isn't the iPhone the best, greatest phone ever created and you need it now, right? This is the best phone we ever created. You need it, right? You don't need it. You don't need it. Okay, I'm just telling you, you don't need it, okay? Now, you might want it, you might get it, but you don't need it, okay? You don't need it, all right? That luxury car, it's nice, and if you have it, that's great, but let's just be honest and, and fair. You don't need it, right? You don't need it, right? we, We've talked about before, all right? The average uh, uh, new home size in America, and of course in LA it might be a little bit different, probably a little bit smaller. The average new home size in America is 2,100 square feet. Right? The average new home. Right? Just up the street there were those new houses that were built like two, three years ago. I think the smallest was like 2,400 square feet. I mean they were massive houses. The biggest one was 3,000, maybe even a little bit bigger. Huge houses. The average new home in the 1940s following World War II was 750 square feet. The average new home size was 750 square feet. Not only that, the average family size in the 1940s was bigger than the average family today. So you have a bigger family in a one-third the size house as today with a smaller uh, family with three times the house. Now, I'm not telling you to live in a 750 square foot house, okay? That's not the point. But the point is that we did it, we would, if we look back, we would say, wow, that's really small. That's really small. But to them, many of them thought, wow, this is really big. Wow, this is great. We can have a new home big enough for all of us, right? It, and, and those things can creep along very, very slowly. 
very gradually. Oh, suddenly I need this thing and I need this thing. And, and soon, you know, maybe we're getting pay raises. Maybe we're doing all of that. But at the end of the month, it's still the same thing because every single increase gets poured into something else. One author said, and so it is with uh, that a man, when he walks along a road, the lighter he travels, the happier he is. Writing about finances and materialism. Thirdly and lastly, regarding our lifestyle, we need to focus on our true mission. Why do we make the lifestyle choices that we do? Is it to fulfill the lust of our flesh? Is it to impress other people, to try to have more worldly success? All right. What are we doing here on earth? <laughs> right? What are we doing here? Why are we here? Why are you here? Why am I here? Why does God leave us here on earth? Well, Colossians chapter 3 gives us a big picture idea. Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all. Right? That includes your making money, saving money, spending money. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Are we not ambassadors for God? We are. We are representatives of the Lord. Are we not on a mission to reach people with the gospel? We are. That's our mission. That's our job. Our job here is not to expand our house as big as we possibly can, to climb as high on the corporate ladder as we possibly can. Now, there's nothing wrong with climbing those things. The latter. There's nothing wrong with having a, a high position. Maybe you become one of the VPs, you become a CEO. There's nothing wrong with being a CEO. There's nothing wrong with having a big house. But that's not why we're here, right? That's not our purpose in life to get there and to have those things. So let's not get sidetracked. Let's stay on mission. Let's stay focused. And that will help us to, to determine our lifestyle. So choose a lifestyle biblically. All right? Don't just think, well, everybody else is doing it. This is what my friends are doing. This is what my peers are doing. This is what everybody else is doing. I got to do the same thing. Well, the lost don't have the same mission in life as we do. We got a different mission. So let's stay on mission. Let's think about, okay, what kind of lifestyle should I live in order to facilitate that life? All right? Thirdly and lastly, the last principle I want to take a look at today is having a legacy. All right? Having a legacy. So this is something that I think uh, some of you... Uh, will not think about it all, all right? Aiden, all right, you're probably not thinking about your legacy <laughs> that you're going to be leaving to future generations, right? One day you'll think about it, but maybe not today, all right? And, and, and having a legacy is something that I think is important financially, right? How can we have a godly legacy regarding our finances? The first principle I want to take a look at is live with a purposeful thoughtfulness, all right? Live purposefully. Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 22 says, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. The idea here is we should not consume everything that we have, if at all possible, right? We are not consumers, amen, all right? We consume things, but that's not who we are, Right? We use things in order to facilitate being a Christian and living for the Lord. Christian living is about, first of all, the Lord, and then others. Amen? Including our children. So we got to think about that. Uh, it's interesting because when you talk about these super wealthy people, like Warren Buffett type people, they, you know, you, people have asked them, what are you going to do with all of your money when you pass away? 
is that I'm going to give most of my money away. I'm going to leave just a little bit for my kids. And I think Warren Buffett actually said, I want to leave them enough money so that they could do anything, but not so much money that they could do nothing. Right? I want to leave them enough where they could, if they wanted to do this or that or whatever they're really interested in, to be able to do that, but not so much that they could choose to do literally nothing and still live the rest of their life, right? Now, for them, that amount of, I want to leave them enough so that they could do anything, but not enough so that they could do nothing, is $10 million, okay? I don't know if you're planning on leaving your kids $10 million, but I think that's plenty. I've seen people waste their life on less, much, much less. So... I don't know what the right dollar amount might be, but we've got to at least be thoughtful about it. All right, and think about your kids. You, you know, if you're, you know, you have your kids, you know your kids, you know their personalities, you know their dispositions. You know, be wise in in handling those areas. You got to you got to think about those things. Which leads us then to the second principle of lead with proper training. All right, lead with proper training. Because more than leaving your children a pile of money is having the right mindset regarding money. More important than leaving them thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, more important than that is how do they think about money? How do they think about God? How do they think about using money to glorify God? For instance, if your children get everything they ask for, they will grow up expecting everything they ask for. They will become entitled in their mentality. Growing up, I got everything I wanted. Now that I'm adult, I should still get everything I wanted because that has been the mentality that they grew up in. Proverbs chapter 22, verse number six says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think there's a very important principle here the word is not teach, the word is train, all right? You can teach your children, but not train them. What does training mean? Training means lead them. Don't tell them what to do, show them what to do. Show them what to do. Now, regarding finances, that means we have to show them we're not spending everything that we make. Amen? We have to show them we give money to the church. We give tithes. We give offerings. We give missions. You have to show them we save money. You have to show them we're not doing all of these things. You have to show them that. And it's interesting because that's what the verse says, train up a child in the way he should go. The very next verse says, the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Right? right after the principle of make sure you train up your children the way that you want them to go, the very next verse says, think about debt very wisely. <laughs> right? Those two things are kind of put together. So when we live with a lot of debt, we teach our children that a lot of debt is acceptable. That's what we teach them. When we live beyond our means, we teach our kids that they should live beyond their means. Living without talking about money teaches our kids that money is not something that we should talk about. Now, we should talk about money. Now, there's an appropriate level, of course, depending on age and all of those sorts of things, but you should talk about money. You should talk about tithing with your kids. Right? Now, in my home, the way that we do it, and my kids don't have jobs, okay? So they're not earning any money. <laughs> so it's very sporadic, but we have a system set up in place. We have three jars, and we bought these custom lids that have the little slots in the top, 
And uh, my wife, you know, put these labels on there for, for each of our kids. So we have three jars for my oldest, three jars for our younger. And uh, tithe, save, spend. All right. Tithe, save, and spend. All right. For each of them. And so when they get money coming in, uh, I have to do the math work of divvying up, you know, I have to make change and stuff like that. You know, somebody gives my daughter a $10 bill, you know, I have to pull out 10 $1 bills and pull them out and then, you know, and then, you know, I separate it. Okay, here's the tithe, tithe is 10%, all right, what is the tithe? It's 10%, all right, what do we do with that? We give it to God, great, okay, so you put it in that jar, you don't use that money, you give it to God through the local church. All right? And then we have a save jar. All right? Here's the percentage that you put in your save jar. All right? How many dollar bills do you have? I think we're, you know, I mean, they're young. They don't have any expenses. I buy everything for them. So I make them save 40%, right? 40% you save. You don't save that much. 50% you get to spend. All right? And so what we'll do is we'll have all of these jars set up, and we have an app that keeps track of how much money is in each jar. And sometimes we'll be out and, you know, we'll be at a store, we'll be out shopping or things like that. And uh, not all of the time, but sometimes, you know, one of my daughters will say, I really want to buy this, you know, and they, I, I don't know how much, you know, they understand regarding money and, fine, you know, how is it expensive, is it cheap or things like that. Sometimes they'll say, I really want it. Oh, no, you don't need that, you know. But sometimes they say, no, I really want that. It's like, okay, all right, if you really want it, then I want you to buy it with your own money, all right. That's why you have money. You can, that's why you save the money so that you could buy it when you saw something that you wanted. Now it's going to cost this many dollars. That's okay with you. And we talk about it. I'll buy it. We go back home and I'll sit down with my child and I'll pull out the money, the exact number of dollars or whatever it costs for them to buy it. And I'll pull it out and I say, you bought it with your money. Now I bought it for you at the store and now you have to pay me. All right. You got an interest-free loan from your dad. Okay. And I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take that money free. No interest. Okay because I love you, <laughs> right? Okay, so that's the situation, and that's how we do it. And we, 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 we talk about these things, and we show them these things, because I want them to learn and think about money at a young age with cash and things like that. Now, when they, you know, I know that the system is removing cashless, and that can be a little bit more difficult, but still, they need to have something where they see it, and they learn it, and they understand these principles. Uh, we haven't talked to our children about budgeting, okay? There's, no, <laughs> there's none of those conversations. But one day, I need to talk to them about budgeting. I need to talk to them about giving. I need to talk to them about investing. All of these sorts of things. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So what, what is God saying? God's saying you teach your children as you live life. That's how you teach your kids. You don't teach your kids by sending them to Sunday school on Sunday morning from 9.30 to 11. You teach your kids as you live life. Now, regarding finances, what does that mean? That can mean something as simple as when you go to the gas station and you fill up gas and you see it at 6.50 or whatever it is right now, and you fill up your gas and you, you, sit, you go back in the car, and you can talk to your kids about, you know what, gas prices have been rising. All right, what does that mean? Okay, what that means is, we got to spend more on gas and less on something else, all right? And, and that's a great teaching lesson for them. Ah, when I have greater expenses here, I, it means I got to cut back somewhere. So 
you know what? What's a great thing for us to do? When you have more money, instead of spending it, you could save it. So that when these get more expensive, you could continue to fund some of these things through the tough times. And that could be a learning lesson for them, just going through life. As you go through the grocery store, as you pay for different things, you know, you'll see, ah, this is how much this costs. And if you wanna, you know, you wanna get a job, let's say you got a teenager, oh, you wanna buy this thing, this is how much it costs. It costs $50, all right? You wanna buy this, you know, jacket or something, it costs $50, all right? Oh, I really want it. Well, how much money do you have? I don't have any money. Okay, well, how do you get money? They'll probably say, I asked my dad, <laughs> can I have money, right? No, you get a job, right? So you might teach them, all right, how do you get money? You get a job and you say, okay, when you get a job, you know, you make money and they might make, you know, might go get a job. They might make, I don't know, let's say $15 an hour. Let's say they're working 20 hours a week. They get, what is that, $300, is that right? $300 a week, all right? After the first week, they think, oh, I'm rich, I got $300. And then they get their paycheck and they're like, wait a second, it's less than $300. Hey, what's going on here? Ah, let me teach you about taxes. All right, the government takes money and all of these things. Okay, now you have less money. And then now, you're, now he's thinking about the calculation of, okay, 50, I, I worked all week long and then I, gotta, I gotta spend a quarter of my money on this jacket. And it's like, you know, six, I worked six hours to buy this jacket. Ah, maybe I don't need that jacket anymore. <laughs> that can be a great teaching and learning lesson. So as you're living life, teach your kids about finances, about money, about things are getting more expensive. Things are, you know, this is, there's a great opportunity here. Hey, th this item that you've been waiting for, now it's on sale. Like this would be a great time for you to buy that thing that you've been waiting for. You've been saving up money, those sorts of things. All right. So we've got to lead our children and think about how we can teach those principles. The third principle regarding leaving a legacy is leave behind priceless treasures. Because the danger in leaving money is that people can think that money is the most important thing you leave behind. But money isn't the most important thing you leave behind. Amen? Amen. There are more important things that you can and should leave behind. We're going to go back to that verse that we read at the very beginning, Luke chapter 16, verse number 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. So if you haven't learned how to handle your money correctly, who will commit to your trust? What's the next words? The true riches. Jesus is making a distinction between money and true riches. And for us, we should think about there's something more important that you can leave behind than money. Some people will not be able to leave behind anything. There will be no money left at the end of their life. And that was actually true for most of history. Most people left nothing because they weren't able to retire. They just had to keep working until they died and whatever was left, that, that's, what their, that's what their kids got. Maybe the, they might have a family farm or things like that, but many, they just had to go find their own, uh, own place. Money is not the true riches that you could leave behind. Second Peter chapter three, verse number 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. All right. 
What Peter is saying, knowing that everything that you worked for will disappear one day, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? All right? Knowing that everything that you work for, that huge inheritance, that huge house, you know, the fancy clothes, knowing that all of that will disappear, how should you live? What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. What, what Peter is writing, he's saying, everything in this earth will be gone one day. But you can lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, things that will last for all of eternity. And money is not the most important thing. So if money isn't the most important thing, why do so many revolve their entire lives around it? Right? Money is not the most important thing. So we shouldn't revolve our lives around it. If money is not the most important thing, what is the most important thing? What is the most important thing? Right? I'm asking you. What is it? Relationship with God. Isn't that the most important thing? Amen? All right. We need to be on the same page here. All right. Is money the most important thing or is our relationship with God the most important thing? It's the relationship with God. Amen? If our relationship with God is the most important thing, and it is, we should revolve our lives around that. Amen? It should not be what college we get into, should not be the best paying job I can get, should not be what kind of house I live in. Amen? Amen. All right? We're, the Bible says that house is going to disappear. Now, if you have a nice house, I'm happy for you. I hope one day I get a nice house. <laughs> but I may not get one. I don't know. Who, who knows? But that's not the point because my life doesn't revolve around that and neither should yours. C.T. Studd who was a missionary for many years, he received in today's dollars a multi-million dollar inheritance. I think inflation adjusted for today, and you know, he was, he was from England. Uh, it's, it was like three and a half million dollars, a huge inheritance, right? He gave away every single dollar of it, all of it. He gave it away to different institutes, and he gave it away to George Mueller, who was running an orphanage there in England. He gave it to D.L. Moody's Institute. He gave it away to different things. And even after giving away huge portions, he still had some left, so he started giving away more. He saved a little bit in order to give to his wife as a, as a, a, a wedding gift, and his wife said, let's give it away. She gave it away. They gave all of it away. Why? Why would they do that? Because they learned what true treasures are. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Right? What's more important than leaving your children a huge pile of money? Them knowing that you love them and that God loves them and that they love you, and that you have that relationship. There's a well-known public um, story, I guess, about uh, Steve Jobs' first child. He had, a, he had a child when he was in his early 20s. Uh, the child's name is Lisa, Lisa Brennan. And uh, there was a, he, he, he denied having this child for many years. Eventually, 
he came around reconciled and uh, they, she officially changed her name from Lisa Brennan to Lisa Brennan Jobs. And, um, and uh, over the years, he, you know, he had said that he you know, was sorry and he, he didn't take responsibility for his child and all sorts of things. And, and um, well, Lisa uh, wrote a book and wrote, wrote about that relationship. And uh, apparently, we, we, we don't know the exact dollar amount, um, but apparently she was left a multi-million dollar inheritance. A lot of money. But what she wrote about that relationship was that Jobs remained mostly distant, cold, and made her feel unwanted. Now, we all know who Steve Jobs is, right? We know about the iPhone. We know about the iPod. We know about Apple. We know about all of these things. We know about the success. We know about all of those things. And he did leave Lisa a lot of money. But imagine leaving your child feeling unwanted. How many dollars do you need to give in order to overcome that feeling? There's no dollar amount, is there? Right? You could leave them $50 million. What the Bible is telling us is there's something more important than money. There's more, something more important than worldly financial success. It's that relationship that you have with God it's a relationship that you can have with your children and, and raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We read these verses earlier, but I want to read them again in Luke chapter 12. The Bible says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. I want to close with this verse from Matthew chapter 10, verse number 39. It says, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. See, this series about finances was not just, you know, biblical principles and how you could do well financially. Now, I believe that if you follow these principles, you will be fine, right? You'll work hard, you'll save money, you'll invest away, you'll do, you'll do fine, you'll be great. But this series on finances is about losing our life for Christ so that we might find it. Amen? That's what finance is about. Finance is a real tangible way for us to see, have I lost my life in Christ so that I might receive that what is real living from the Lord? And I hope that we'll take some of these principles thinking about he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it.